rose again. And he felt it when he rose again. Amen. How many of you know that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him? It was freely given. How many of you know nobody could take Jesus' life unless he freely gave it? He was God. This ain't Disney's Moana. Right? You, 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 can't, you can't just go and take Jesus' life unless it's a freely given gift. Because Jesus was man, but he was still God. Right? And, and I don't care how many Roman soldiers they got. You can't take out God. Right? So, so Jesus walked in there of, of, of his own accord and gave of his life of his own accord and went to the cross of his own accord and took that torture and that beating and spilled his blood of his own accord and he did it because of one thing. He loved you. He loved you. He loved me. That's a greater love. Amen? That's a greater love. So we celebrate Jesus this morning. And there's no greater love that exists than the love it took for Jesus to go to the cross for you and for me. So how many of you know John 15, 13, uh, if we read this, it says this, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13 is talking about a different kind of love. It's very different from what we see on TV. It's very different from what we read about in books or on social media. It's talking about a different kind of love. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. John, John 15, 13 isn't talking about all of the, the, the different types of love that we talked about this morning. It's talking about something greater. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek. How many of you knew that? Right? About half of us, right? So the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and then it was translated into English. There's something interesting about the Greek language. The Greek language actually has multiple words for love. The English language has one, right? We say love. That's it. It doesn't matter what the caliber of love is. It doesn't matter what we're loving. We just say love. It's like, man, I loved that new Marvel movie that came out. Uh, man, I love pizza. Man, I love biscuits and gravy. And if you attend here regularly, you know that's the truth, man. I, I love biscuits and gravy, and that's why I don't have abs. If I, man, if I could just get off biscuits and gravy, I might get some abs. But, but we, we say things like that. We say, like, I might use it in two sentences in a row. I say, man, I love that pizza we had last night. And then I look at my wife and go, I love you. Right? And it's the same word. But does it have the same meaning? Does it have the same intensity? No, so we, it, we have to understand the intensity from the inflection and the, and the context of everything else. Well, the Greeks were a little bit ahead of that. The Greeks actually had multiple words to describe different types of love. Uh, the first one was this. The Greeks talked about eros love, E-R-O-S, eros love. What is eros love? It's where we get the word erotica from today. It's where we get the word erotic from. Eros love is a, is a sexy love, right? It's it's, it's a sexy love. Go ahead and look at your neighbor this morning. Go ahead and break the uncomfortableness and say it's a sexy love. There you go. I just want to get you guys loosened up this morning. Some of y'all stuttered when you said it, didn't you? You're like, hey, we're in church. Like, what in the world? Eros love is, 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 is a woo. It's, it's Eros love is when I, when I first met my wife and we were 14 years old. We're quite a bit older than that now. But we were 14 years old, and when I first heard her voice, uh, there was tingles going down my spine, right? She, she had this beautiful voice, and I, and I heard her voice before I saw her face, 
But the moment I saw her face, has anybody uh, ever seen old cartoons where when they see a beautiful woman, that whoever the guy is in that cartoon, it, this is before cancel culture, right? So this was way back before that. But, but the, guy who, the guy who saw the beautiful woman in the cartoon, his face like turned into a wolf and he starts patting his foot. He's like, oh, right? Does, does anybody remember that? Is it just me? You remember that, right? So these were old cartoons. That's why they got away with it, right? But it was like, oh, it's like howling at the moon. That's what Eros love is. Eros love is when you see somebody you're highly attracted to and you turn into a wolf and you go, oh, right? That's Eros love. That's that, that's that moment that you get urges to hold hands with that person. Uh, do you remember a time when you first held hands with somebody and your, your arms started shaking? It's like, it's like, oh my goodness, right? It's been a while for us. We've been married 26 years. You know, my arm don't shake as much anymore when, it, when we hold hands. It's like, it's just natural. We're part of, we're flowing together now, right? But, but I remember in the beginning going to the movies and reaching over and, and grabbing Jessica's hand. And all of a sudden I had tremors going through my whole chest, <laughs> right? And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with me? It, it's arrows, Eros love is that love that you, that you get in a relationship that, that, that keeps you going. Uh, when they say love is blind, they're talking about Eros love. When they say love is blind, that means that you're so in love, Eros, uh, that you overlook all of this person's problems, right? You don't have a job, that's okay, We're, we'll get by, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can't cook, it's okay, I'll eat Fruit Loops for the rest of my life. You know, it, it's that it, it overlooks these types of things, right? That's Eros love. So, so they had Eros love, but then they had uh, different kinds of love. Um, let me ask you this. How many single people do I have in the room? You're single. Be loud and proud. Come on, stick it, stick it. Stand up. Stand up if you're single. Just go, woo! All right, keep your hands up. Single guys, look around. This is what you've got to work with. Okay? You're in church this morning. That's a great place to meet somebody. <laughs> All right? I'm, I'm just totally teasing you. Totally teasing this morning. But, but single folks, you need Eros. Eros is important. Because if you're not going to date somebody and marry somebody and love somebody properly unless you first had some Eros. Unless you first were attracted to them. Right? It, it, it serves a purpose. So it's, sometimes arrows can go the wrong way and be bad, but most often the way God designed it, God designed those tingles. God designed that urge that you have to hold hands. God designed that urge that you have to slow dance with that lady. Right? God designed that urge that you have to do other things in, in the context of marriage. Right? But that all takes arrows. That all takes arrows. The, the next word that the Greeks have is called storge. Storge. So storge love, how, how, do we, how do we talk about storge love? Well, storge love is how you love your annoying relatives. Storge love is how you love people who get on your nerves. Storge love is how you love somebody that, man, yeah, yeah Lord love them. You know, storge love is that, is that obligatory love. That's what storge love. Storge love is how some of y'all love your in-laws, right? Not me. I, my in-laws are awesome. Right, I, I love my in-laws. A lot of them are sitting right here. I, I love them, man. They are awesome. I'm going to be eating dinner with them later, sharing some ham, some stories. No, I'm just teasing. But I, but I, I love my in-laws. But some of y'all, some of y'all don't really like your in-laws, but you love them. 
You ever say, man, I really don't like them, but I love them. Right? That's storge love. That's obligatory love. And then the, the Greeks go one step further and they go into phileo love. Has anybody ever heard of the city of Philadelphia? Right? The root word for the city of Philadelphia is phileo. And phileo means love, which is why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Because that's what phileo is. Phileo is this brotherly love. It's this deep friendship. You truly care about this person. It's you need help moving? Listen, I'll be there. Right? If it's storge, it's man, I got other things to do. Right? If it's storge, I got to wash the car, wash the dog, take out the trash, take down the Christmas lights from last year. You know, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you move. If it's, if it's phileo, it's like what you need. I, I'll be there. Wait, oh, you need a pickup truck? I've got a pickup truck. Let me come. I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Right? Phileo love is, is you need picked up at 2 a.m. in the morning because your car broke down? I'm there for you. Right? Phileo love is, is if you think of yourself in a jam and you say, you know, I could always call this person and they'll take care of it. I could always call this person and they'll show up. Right? That's phileo love. That's, that's, a, that's a brotherly, a deep friendship. And then the Greeks had this word, which is the most used word in the New Testament for love. Whenever Jesus talked about love, whenever God talks about love, whenever we share about biblical deep love, it's called agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape love is just something deeper. Eros love is the love of Hallmark and the Kardashians and, and everything else, the bachelor and the bachelorette. Agape love is something deeper. Agape love is the love of a mother for her child. Agape love is the love of a grandpa, or as I call myself, pop-pop. All right? That's the love of pop-pop for his grandkids. In plural. Wow, that freaks me out. So I, we, we have Waylon, Waylon Zane Stramiska the Great, and he is, he's sleeping on his dad's chest right now. And, and, and the love that I have for him goes much deeper you know how deep my love goes for him I will change poopy diapers all day long I will go change him I will take care of him he could be in the worst mood and be screaming his head off and be teething and having a bad day and I'll say I will take him for the day we'll spend time together you know why because I agape love my grandson I agape love my kids now here's the here's the thing Agape love is selfless love. And if agape love is selfless love, it's agape love that Jesus took with him when he went to the cross for you and me. Agape love is what Jesus did when he stepped out of heaven and came to live on this broken planet. And he came to set things right and to fix things, to give us a bridge so that we too could get to heaven. If you were here Friday night, you, we, we played a video on Good Friday service. We had a one-hour worship service on Good Friday, but we, we played a video and, and there's a character named Barabbas uh, in the scriptures. And Barabbas was the one who Pilate, the leader, had put Jesus out and put Barabbas out when they were going to crucify Jesus and said, I'm going to release one, one prisoner today. Uh, should I release Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas was a thief and a murderer and dangerous, and he was a dangerous criminal, right? And, and the people said, we want Barabbas, release Barabbas. And they sent Jesus to the cross. But how many of you know that was a horrible moment? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scathing moment in the scriptures, but it was meant to be because it was God's plan, right? But there's a, there's a line in that video that says that God treated Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. That God so loved us 
And Jesus so loved us that he willingly took the punishment on behalf, on our behalf. He willingly took it. That's agape love. That's a dad running out and grabbing a, a kid and throwing him out of the way and taking the hit from an automobile because he cares more about that kid than his own life. Right? That's agape love. That's the way that, that God loves us. So if we go through these types of love quickly, Eros love is shallow. Right? It's shallow. It's useful, but it's shallow. It doesn't last any, any tough seasons. Storge love is weak. Storge love is just weak love. Right? There's, there's, listen, something happens that makes, that makes the relationship a little tough in Storge, right? Uh, it just goes out the window. Right? Storge love is weak. You get, you get aggravated quickly when you only Storge love somebody. Right? You get aggravated with them quickly. And then you have phileo love, and phileo love is good and deep, but only goes so far. Phileo love is, is what happens when everything is good until there's a deep hurt in the relationship and then all of a sudden you stop talking. And all of a sudden friends part ways or all of a sudden family members don't talk to each other. All of a sudden parents don't talk to kids. It's because they're not agape loving each other, they're phileo loving each other. I will love you as long as it serves me as much as it serves you. But the moment it stops serving me, boom, we're done. The moment it stops serving me, I can't have any of this. The moment it stops making me feel good, I'm going to go on about my way, right? That's when you just get to phileo love and you don't go any deeper. But, but, but the Bible says that we're called to love one another like Jesus loved us. That means that we're called in our families to love our families the way Jesus loved us. That's agape, right? That we're called to love people, agape, not just phileo. Not just storge and not just arrows, but we're called to love each other agape. When God fills you and me up with love, it's agape love. In that moment, maybe this morning when you were worshiping and you felt something uh, in your spirit or you felt something in your chest and it was just like this warm moment where the Holy Spirit was just flowing through this room and you just felt God in that instant. That's agape love. That's God filling you up with agape. When we need to restore a relationship in our lives that's broken, it's restored with agape love. That's how we do it. Agape love is actually an altruistic version of love. What does altruistic mean? It means that it's completely selfless. There's only one person that we know and we talk about in this church that's completely selfless. That's my wife. No, I'm just teasing. It's, it's not... There's one person that we know and talk about and read about in Scripture that's completely selfless, and that's God. Completely selfless. He loves with abandon, right? That's God. Which brings me to my first point today. And don't worry, my points go quick. It, it brings me to my first point today, and my first point today is this. Agape love is scandalous. Why don't you look at a neighbor this morning and say scandalous? I don't know why, but I just like saying that word. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? You look at somebody and you go, that's scandalous. Right? It sounds like you read a lot when you use that word. <laughs> right? Sounds like you, you've had some books. You know, you've read some books. Uh, uh, Pastor Russian probably uses that word on a regular basis because he reads about three or four books a week probably. Agape love is scandalous. Oftentimes, acting in agape causes a disruption to normal societal thinking. Acting in agape causes a disruption to the way people feel and think that you should be acting. Right? Normal society's love is conditional. And not just conditional, extremely conditional. 
So normal society's love is so conditional that if anybody does anything wrong, society is, is programmed to cease and stop loving that person. Cease. We cut it off. We cut it off at the root. We stop it right there, right? That's, that's, so, so agape love is actually the opposite of societal's version of love. It's, it's the opposite of how society views love. When you agape love somebody that, that society says you should shun, it shocks them. When you agape love somebody when all of your friends said, nope, you need to cut that off. When you have a friend maybe that is, that is selfish and moving in the wrong direction or, or saying the wrong thing, and, and then you decide in that moment that with the help of the Lord, you're going to agape love them through it, it blows other people's minds. When a marriage comes together after an extreme betrayal, Say there's an adultery in the relationship and that marriage survives and those people forgive each other. It takes agape love to flow through that and forgive. But the rest of society doesn't understand it. The rest of society says, oh no, you've got to get out now. You've got to forgive. Matter of fact, society says once a cheater, always a cheater. Right? But God says, I can restore anybody. God says, I can restore any situation. But can I tell you today that it takes agape love to restore people and the situations. Amen. In John chapter 7, we see agape uh, in a pure form. There's a church leader who's hosting a dinner and he invites Jesus. And he's a religious man. He's a, he's a Pharisee. And he invites Jesus into his home not to be kind and loving and graceful. But he invites Jesus into his home to test him. He wants to see what kind of prophet Jesus actually is. He wants to test Jesus. So, and this is something, this is just like God. How many of you know God disrupts society? Right? God disrupts normal thinking on a regular basis. So we've got a religious person standing at the table with the wrong heart, without God's heart, looking to judge God himself. He's sitting at the table and, and says, uh, he's a man, he's a prophet, but he's only a man, he's only a prophet, and he's not a very good prophet because we see him hanging out with sinners. And we know that good prophets don't ever hang out with sinners, right? So he's judging God in this moment. Now, we can't get too judgy of him because I'm sure there's times in our life where we judge God as well. And we've got to correct that thinking immediately, right? Well, in this moment, Jesus is sitting at the table, and he's, and he's, he's having conversations, and, and the conversation is getting deep, I'm sure, and theological, and they're going around the table, and they're asking Jesus questions, and then all of a sudden, a woman comes bursting in the room, and not just any woman, but a woman who is known to be sinful. A woman comes bursting in the room who is, a, who is most likely, according to most Bible scholars, a known prostitute in the area. And she comes busting in the room crying and lays at the feet of Jesus as they're sitting around a table. And, and the tables in that time weren't high tables. They weren't tables like we sit at today. They were low to the ground and people reclined next to them, maybe with an elbow on the table and eating with the other hand. So feet were stretched out everywhere. And they didn't have socks and they didn't have shoes then. So feet were nasty and feet were dirty. And uh, they were normally covered in dirt, mud, and animal dung. Right, So they, they were walking through all of this kind of stuff because they, all they had were sandals and the sandals were open. But they were sitting at the table with their feet reclined and in walks this woman of ill repute. In walks this woman that nobody has time for except maybe to use up for her body. In walks this woman who nobody has looked at and, and taken the time to love and cherish. And in walks this woman 
And obviously she had had a moment where she met Jesus before this because she runs into the room and falls at Jesus' feet and begins to bawl and cry. And, she, and her tears were so much that she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. That's how much she was crying. She cleaned the dust and the dirt off of Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she dried it with her hair. This woman so loved Jesus. This woman was so grateful for Jesus. As Jesus sat around a table of religious people who were judging him. There was a known prostitute laying at his feet, crying and washing them. And in this moment, the church leader thinks to himself, well, that answers that. If he was any kind of a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman was touching him. If he was any kind of a prophet, well, that answers that. He's a false prophet. He's fake. But he's thinking this stuff. He doesn't say it out loud. And then Jesus looks up and says, what was that, son? We forget that Jesus is God. He knows your thoughts. Right? In just in case anybody didn't know, Jesus knows your thoughts. That's why the Bible says to keep your thought life pure. God knows your thoughts. But he, 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 he says, he thinks to himself, what kind of man is this to allow a woman like that to touch him? And Jesus says, Simon. Say there was two people, and one owed 50 and one owed 500, and the person that was, uh, they were indebted to forgave those debts. Which person do you suppose would love him more? And Simon the Pharisee looks at Jesus and says, well, I suppose the one who owed the, the greater debt. He says, yes, Simon, that's correct. And then he looks at the, at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. That's agape love. That's agape love in action. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved her with. And that's the kind of love that she loved Jesus back with because she knew. How many of you know that there were many people during that time who were not uh, the leaders of the church who recognized and knew that he was the son of God before the leaders of the church ever even thought about him? Because why? Because they had a greater debt. When we're religious and we think we have it all together on our own and we don't need Jesus, you're not going to love him. But when you recognize that you're a sinful person who needs Jesus to forgive you or else you're never going to have eternal life with God, then you are so grateful for, man, thank you for, for, for restoring me, Christ. Thank you, Lord. God, I love you. I love that you sent your son to this planet. I, I love that Jesus went to the cross on my behalf. I love that Jesus made a way for me to have eternal life and get to heaven because I could not have done it on my own. Why? Because I, your pastor, am not good enough. And guess what? None of y'all are either. There's nobody in this room that's good enough to make it to heaven on your own accord. Matter of fact, Jesus said this when the man said something about being a good teacher. Jesus said, oh, why do you call me good? And the man said, well, I just, I don't know. I just said you're a good teacher, you know. But Jesus saw a teaching moment and he said, there's none good. No, not one. Not one. So if you call me good, you must be calling me God. 
right? Jesus takes these moments to teach. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of perfect love and greater love. Amen? Number two, Jesus is agape love. Jesus doesn't just do agape love. Jesus is agape love. That's why when we give our life to Christ and we give our life to God, it's so much easier for us to love. It's so much easier for us to forgive. It's so much easier for us to come along somebody who's broken and hurting because when we offer our life to God, God transforms us and we become more like Christ, which makes us love easier and better than we ever have before. Makes us love way better. 1 John 4, 14 through 17 says this, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we continue to live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we continue to serve God, our love gets greater. I loved my wife for the first 12 years of our marriage. I loved her. Mostly Aeroslug. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> y'all, I'm embarrassing y'all today. I loved my wife for the first 12 years. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I loved my wife. I loved her. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I loved her greater. I loved her more. I loved her better. Because Jesus makes us more perfect in our love the more that we spend with him. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is the perfect embodiment of perfect love, greater love. Point number three today is this. Loving like Jesus changes the world. Some of you may sit here today and and there may be times that you uh, get philosophical and you're sitting around a campfire with some friends or or maybe you're on a long road trip and you're driving and talking to people, right? And you, you have these statements sometimes like, man, I just want to do something that makes a difference. And I just want to do something that changes the world, right? You ever get philosophical like that? It may be when you're under uh, the influence of something else, you know, but, but you sit around and you have these conversations and you talk. And sometimes we get unhappy with our lot in life. And we get unhappy with what we're actually doing, right? And we say, you know, I wish that what I was doing was greater. And I, rem- I remember when I was in sales and I, I was working, before I went into ministry, I was having conversations with some guys that I worked with, and, and, and the conversations went like that. Like, don't you just wish sometimes that you did something other than try to talk other people out of their money? I'm like, yeah, man, I do. I wish that I did something that made a difference. Because this... You know, this pays the bills. This is life. But it's, it's not making a difference. Matter of fact, if it is making a difference, I might be making a negative difference. And I'm like, and then along comes God. And how many of you know when you start thinking that way and you start praying that way and you start having conversations with God like that, that God will give you opportunities. God will give you opportunities. If you say, Lord, I want to be a world changer. 
Lord, I want to be somebody that makes a difference. Lord, I want to be somebody that, that impacts those people around me. God, I don't want to just walk through this life and then at my funeral, 22 people show up and nobody really knew me well. God, I don't want to be that kind of person that, that just walks through this life and just works and, and does whatever and just pleases myself. But God, what can I do to be more like you? God, what can I do to make a difference in this world? Well, the Bible says that when we love like Jesus, we change the world. And in order to love like Jesus, to change the world, we've got to have Jesus' love in us. Amen. Which means we have to give our heart to him first. And then we have to walk and talk with him on a regular basis. You say, how in the world, Pastor Steve, do you walk and talk with Jesus? Is he a ghost? Like, what's happening? No, he's God. And no matter where you are or what's going on in your life, he hears you. And you can walk through your neighborhood and have a conversation with him. And if you're quiet enough and you quiet down the loudness of the world and the rumbling of everything else going on in your life and the deep desire to please myself and you quiet all that down chances are you'll hear him talk back chances are you'll hear him speak to you right so loving like jesus changes the world here's something we've talked briefly about jesus going to the cross and knowing all that he would face because he's god right how many of you know jesus wasn't surprised when the Roman soldiers began to beat him. Jesus wasn't surprised when they came into the garden and arrested him. Jesus wasn't surprised when he got taken before an illegal uh, court proceedings in the temple by the, by the high priest. Jesus wasn't surprised when even his own disciples scattered in fear and betrayed him in the moment. Jesus wasn't surprised when one of his disciples, Judas, who had walked with him for three years, sold him out for some cash. Judas is like, hey, I got cash app over here, and I know where Jesus is. And Jesus is like, really, Judas? No. Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus knew what it was going to feel like to hang on that cross. That's why the night before in the garden, being 100% man and 100% God, he said to the Father, Lord, if there be any other way, if there's any other way, Lord, to, to, to and what did he mean, any other way for what? save you and to save me to give us the opportunity to go to heaven to, to, to offer a bridge to salvation because we had wandered so far off the track of what God had for us and he said, he said Father if there be any other way make it so if there be any other way let's do this and they said but if not not my will because God I'm in human form I'm about to face some serious pain, but not my will, but your will be done, right? Jesus knew everything that was going to happen, and he willfully walked into it, and he did it for you and me. John chapter 13 is, is a portion of scripture that happens before the resurrection, and most times on Easter Sunday, we'll be talking about the resurrection, and we have. And we'll read that scripture, and I did at, at, at communion time. But I want to take it back to Thursday for a moment. Because we, we've talked briefly about how Jesus knew everything that was going to happen and still willingly did it for you and me. But I want to take it deeper than that for a moment. I want to go back to Thursday. Sunday's when he rose. 
Friday is when he hung on the cross. I want to go back to Thursday because what would you do if you knew it was going to be the last night and the last day before you were getting ready to get arrested, beaten, and hung on a cross? What would you do in that moment? Let's find out what Jesus did. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. How many of you know he had agape his disciples? It was the time for supper and to the devil, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water in a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? How many of you know Peter had some hobbit feet? He's like, Lord, I don't want you, you're you're the Lord. I don't want you to touch my feet. I am not worthy of you washing my feet, Lord. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, all right, Lord. How many of you know he didn't take that much <laughs> to, to, to flip, right? He said, all right, Lord, then wash my hands, wash my head, you know, get this part right here on my shoulder, you know, just clean me up, Father. You know, okay, I, I don't want to miss being a part of you, Lord, so whatever it takes, you know, whatever you got to wash, wash me. And Jesus replied to him, Peter. How many of you know Jesus probably had a smile on his face with Peter a lot? <laughs> he said, Peter, after what, uh, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. To be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean. But not all of you. I mean if you know he looked at Judas. No I don't think he looked at Judas. Because they, they, they argued about who he was talking about. But he, did not, he, did, he didn't out Judas in this moment either. He said not all of you are clean. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and you call me Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. If we go, if we go to Thursday, Brad, would you grab that chair for me? As you come up right there in front of me. Thank you, sir. As we go to Thursday, this is kind of what was taking place in the moment. It wasn't in the scripture we read, but it's in the other gospels. You can put it right up here. It wasn't in the scripture we just read, but it's in the other gospels. What was happening? What was taking place right before Jesus decides to get up from the table and wash the filthy feet of his disciples? 
on the night before or the night of his arrest and the day before he's to be crucified. What would make Jesus get up and do that in that moment? Well, if we look at the other portions of the synoptic gospels and we go to the other the other scriptures that describe this event we see the disciples in the book of Matthew arguing at the table about who is greater arguing now I want you to kind of place the scene in your mind because Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross he knows what's about to happen and the disciples are sitting around the table arguing about who's the goat who's the greatest of all time John says well I love Jesus better than all y'all Matthew says I gave up my career to follow Jesus and all of this stuff is happening and they're arguing and Bartholomew speaks up and everybody says they won't even know who you are in 2,000 years just be quiet and they're having this whole conversation, right? And everybody's arguing about who's most important, who's most important, who's the greatest, who's the best out of all this. And Jesus just listened to the conversation. I wonder if you were facing immediate death today, what would be your last instructions to your family and to your friends? Would it be about money? Would it be instructions on integrity to your kids? Would you tell your spouse who absolutely they cannot marry after you're gone? Listen, you can marry anybody but this person. Would it be tell your kids where all the coffee cans are buried in the backyard? Would you give your greatest advice ever? Would it be epic, an epic speech in that moment with your greatest advice that you saved up until your deathbed? What did Jesus do? Jesus washed feet. Washing feet during this time, you should know, it was reserved for the lowliest of slaves. You either washed your own feet or the lowliest of slaves washed your feet. It was reserved for that. That's why Peter is, is, is getting a little uncomfortable. He knows that this is God. This is the Son of God. This is the Lord. And he's getting on his knees and about to wash my feet. And Peter's uncomfortable. At the foot of the cross, the day before his arrest, Jesus put on a towel and got on his knees and washed and dried his followers' feet. Why would he? To shut them up over the conversation they were having about who was the greatest? Yeah. To demonstrate humility, which is a Christian virtue? Yeah. To demonstrate love, which is the, the foundation of the gospel? Yeah. To demonstrate how we're supposed to serve? Absolutely. To show the leaders of the church on earth how they are supposed to actually be acting? Yes. To set the standard of Christianity, yes. To scandalously change the status quo, yes. If I'm a follower of Jesus, then I'm scandalous. If I follow Christ, I'm scandalous. I'm scandalous in how I love other people. I'm scandalous in how I serve. 
and I'm scandalous in how I put myself down and lift other people up. I'm scandalous in that. I serve with humbleness and dignity, and I wash feet. Now today, in, in this day and age, we have shoes, and we have socks, and we have cars, and we have asphalt, and we have sidewalks, and our feet don't get as dirty as they did then. But this is a representation of just serving other people. You don't have to wash somebody's feet physically to serve them. But if you serve somebody with love in any capacity, you're in essence washing their feet. I want to ask my wife to come up and join me on stage. she's uncomfortable and can I tell you today that when you're being served it's uncomfortable and the disciples were uncomfortable when Jesus stopped what he was doing got up from the table wrapped a towel around his waist picked up bowl water towel Jesus was thinner than I am. <laughs> <That's true. as I wash the feet of my wife today. Pray, Father, that you would help me to continue to serve her and agape love her in the way that you've asked me to. I pray, Father, that I would never get in the way of that. That I would constantly serve her. Lord, that I would agape love her. Lord, that I would cherish her. Thank you, Lord, that she received humbly this act today and didn't run out of the building. Father, I pray today that as we've witnessed this act and as we've heard about what you did, that, Lord, we as your followers are not greater than you are. We as your followers should serve. We should love. We should be kind. 
should treat each other with dignity and love. Father, we thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I, uh, I almost was going to call somebody else up, you know, a, another man up, and do that this morning. And then I thought, you know, we're going to have guests today, and I don't want people leaving here weirded out. <laughs> and I thought, how can I demonstrate foot washing today in a way that won't weird anyone out, but that they would receive and understand what it is and I thought no better person to do that to than my wife because if I don't wash the feet of my wife then I don't deserve to come here and try to wash your feet if I don't serve my wife then I don't deserve to try to come here and serve you at no point in time should I ever not treat my wife well at home and come to church and try to minister to you so that's where it starts where does this where does this start for you where does it start for you married folks it starts with your spouse single parents it starts with your kids it starts with people in your household do you have do you have an elderly uh, parent or grandparent living in the house with you right it starts with them it starts with people under your own roof and then what happens in society is an outflow of what's happening in our houses. So today on this Easter Sunday, we've got to recognize that to truly follow Jesus, it has to start in our homes. And then the outflow of that love flows out into our neighborhoods, flows out into our cities, flows out into our, into our rural areas, wherever we find ourselves. And that's when it changes the world. Because going out and serving without first serving at home is fake and it's not effective and it's with the wrong heart. So we have to do that first. Would you stand with me this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. lot of guests. We have a lot of first-time attenders this morning. I want you to know that you're safe. You're safe in this place and in this moment. You're amongst family. You're amongst friends. And I want to ask you, is there anybody in this room that recognizes today that they need Jesus in their life? That, man, I have not been walking with Jesus. I have not given my heart to Him. It's been affecting my entire life because there's always areas uh, of struggle because I haven't overcome and been perfected in my love. All right, and if that's you in this place and you say, right now, Pastor Steve, I just want to give my heart to Jesus. Today, I want to I want to make that decision for him. If that's you, would you just shoot a hand up? With nobody looking around, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. else today that says today Pastor Steve I want to give my heart to you 
Church, would you, would you repeat this prayer with me for those three that raised their hands today? Lord, I need you in my life. I need to give you control. You have a plan for me, and it's about time I submitted myself to it. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I receive that free gift today. Lord, perfect me in love. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you give God a hand clap of praise? Here? This is how the Lord laid it on my heart to close today. I asked the worship team to come back on stage to flow back into a song of worship. And as I have demonstrated washing my wife's feet today and how that's supposed to be an outpouring of love that starts in the home and moves into the community, inside this basket I have about 500 of these individually wrapped wipes. And as a representation that, yes, Pastor Steve, I received this message today. Yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying to my life. Jesus, I want to be more like you. As a representation of that, as we start to worship and sing this next song, before we close, would you just get out of your seat and come forward and take one of these and then keep it somewhere where you notice it, where you see it on your bedside table, uh, just somewhere, keep it somewhere. And every time you see it, uh, remember that as Christians, we're supposed to be washing feet. Amen. Lead us, Pastor Brad.